coming to the microphone. Your hero, my hero, our leader, Barack Lurie. Take it away, Barack. <laughs> Thanks, Harry. All right, Barack Lurie here. Thanks a lot uh, for tuning in. Guys, you know, I want to thank you all so much for the, the great amount of attention that you've given this podcast. We have grown, uh, I would say, exponentially since we began this, this podcast, what, like four years ago, five years? How long ago? Yeah, in 2012, 2012, oh, 2013. I've known you that long now. Yes. That is just oh, makes me sad. We've grown long in the two <laughs> together. You know, I mean, <laughs> friends is like this. You know, you, you know, you're like a fruit. You know, you 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 get you get spoiled after a while. You got to get rid of him. But no, I have to <laughs> hang around him with this. You keep me on the table. And you keep painting me over and over and over. <laughs> it's true. This is still life. It just means that we love each other. That's all. When we when we rass each other like this. All right, uh, but. But please uh, do keep it up. And, and the reason why I, I'm bringing this up now is that, you know, why not go ahead and tell a good friend of yours, a conservative friend of yours, of course, about this podcast. All we need is one person every other day or so and tell, us, tell them about this podcast. We depend on uh, your listenership. This is what kind of moves things forward. And uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, that the word is definitely getting, getting out. Uh, there's a lot of notoriety for this podcast, and I, I'm really just so thrilled. And so. it's good for them. They'll enjoy it. It's, oh, it's good for them. That's the whole point. No, if, if you don't like the show, then then you don't, don't recommend it. But if you do, please, by all means, that, that'd be great. All right, I want to talk today, uh, moving on to our topic. You know, one of the things that I never really liked is this phrase conservatism. You've heard this, right? And, and when you think about conservatism, you think, okay, well, this is about the party that likes to conserve about, you know, always kind of clinging to the past, right? It's all, the emphasis is on the word conserve. And it suggests, I think wrongly, that it's all about us wanting to um, cling to the past and be fearful of the present and the future, of any change in particular, right? And I, I think that's a misnomer. While it's true that we, we do want to conserve some values of the past, we love innovation. We love change in, in that department, right? So I, I really think it would be more aptly described as uh, the timeless values party or the things we figured out party, right? And this, this is a, it's a, it's a much better appellation for our, our party, and if we, if we did that, I think it would be much more clear from the message of the name itself of what we're actually all about, timeless values. And it, it begs the question, what do you mean timeless values? First of all, it has the word values in there because that's what's so important. What, and what values can possibly be timeless? And then you explain to them and you say, well, we think that family is the, the backbone of civilization. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, we think that a distinction between men and women is very important. Oh, okay, that makes sense. We, we believe that uh, people working for, their, for themselves is far more powerful than anything that can be done or mandated by the government. Uh, and that's timeless because it's human nature. right? So there you go, timeless and values. That would be a perfect name for our party. But instead, we get conservatism. Now, I don't know who, who coined that phrase. Maybe that was a coinage from a liberal, generally speaking. You know, you guys like to conserve things. I don't know. Uh, maybe it seemed more valid at the time. But now it, it, it does seem like, you know, plays right into their characterization, their, their cartoonish characterization of us, that, we, are, that we, we don't want to embrace the future and they're the ones who, who uh, want to, to, to love science and want to embrace science and technology and new ideas and such. And they're wrong. We're the ones who actually want that. But we're also the ones who are not stupid. We, we figured things out. And that's why I, I also had a subtitle of the We Figured Things Out Party. <laughs> Meaning that, look, you, you want to have uh, high taxes, bad things will happen. You want to uh, encourage socialism, bad things will happen. You want to put families on welfare, bad things will happen. You want to not enforce the laws uh, in, in, a, in a city, bad things will happen. Right? This, these are basic things. Um, you you want to have uh, men in, in the women's bathrooms, bad things will happen, right? This is, you know, we're constantly, we figured this out. We, we understand human nature really well. But the liberal policies are always the opposite. They, they, they love the idea of their policy, and they don't think about the consequences of them. I mean, as I said on my Sunday show the other day, you know, the, the theme song 
of uh, the liberals is, to some extent is a song imagined by John Lennon, right? You know, imagine all, they always imagine their policies thriving, but they never imagine the consequences of their policies, right? And, and you know, you know, the reason why I think they don't, they don't uh, say that, Ari, they don't imagine the consequences of the policy because it doesn't fit nicely in a song, right? Imagine all the consequences of our policies. You see, it doesn't, doesn't flow. So, and if it did, screwing up every day. <laughs> so, I mean, if if it if it actually fit into a song, maybe we would get somewhere. Because that's what these people understand. They love their music. Because as soon as you say something in in form, in you know, in, in a in a lyric, well, then it must be right, right? Like, like uh, love is all you need. Ta-da! <laughs> right? I mean, it's a moronic thing to believe, but it fits in a song, right? Um, and uh, I hope uh, all the ch- all the Russians love their children too, right? I mean, it's this kind of claptrap that fits nicely in a in a soundbite in in a song, and then all of a sudden everyone thinks it's uh, it's actually genius that it's actually a a pearl of wisdom that they're delivering to us, right? But maybe we have to we have to find it a different way. I, I don't know how to do it, but it doesn't fit well to imagine the consequences, even if you use the word results. You know, it still wouldn't fit nicely, right? It's a clumsy word. But anyway, that, that's, that's how they well, think. Well, the bottom line in it is our set of beliefs, whether it's ideological or an ism or not, requires thinking, not feeling. And it's always easier to emotionally connect with something than to intellectually bounce an idea around in your head and come to a logical, unfeeling conclusion. Right. Well, I mean, let's take some examples. For example, we had uh, Hiroshima recently, right? The, the president goes to Hiroshima. Uh, now, this came out of nowhere. Uh, as Dennis Prager correctly said, why did he go at all? What, what was the point? This was not the anniversary, first of all, of Hiroshima. You know, maybe if it was a 70th year anniversary, 75th year anniversary, well, then you would expect him to go in August when it actually happened. Right. Well, it was the day, the days preceding the last Memorial Day of his presidency. Ah, that was yeah, the day. That, that, that's, that's a good the point. That's the reason. No, there's, there's clear, there's clear uh, argument for that. I like, I like your point there. But and that's a cynical response, and I think probably the accurate response as well. But the why did he go sort of thing. So he, he goes in there, and it's exactly the kind of point we're bringing up right now. Uh, he goes in there, and the only thing he says is, you know, we need to change our dynamic, our way of thinking, uh, to, to move away from the logic of, uh, what did he say, the logic of fear. That's what he called it. Uh, and, and to move away into the, oh, I see. So we all just pretend that there's no more nuclear uh, arms anymore, and the, the North Koreans are going to agree with us, and the Iranians are going to agree with us, and, and China is going to agree with us, and we'll all agree wink, wink, nudge, nudge, <laughs> to, uh, to a, a ban all of our nuclear arms. I, I mean, the logic of fear, he calls it. And no, I call it just plain logic. It's just stupidity to not, to not keep your nuclear arms and keep the weapons as a way of... You don't have to like it. Uh, it, it seems... I don't like the fact that a lot of uh, our homes have to have burglar alarms on them, right? It would be nice to live in a world where... You don't have to worry about that. But guess what? We live in a world where we have to worry about that. That is human nature. Those who are, are bad people want to do bad things to you. And so that means that they will try to break into your house. They might try to molest you. They might try to steal things from you. And if you're a country, they may want to destroy your country. Okay? So to, to, why not? Why stop there? That, that's the point. Why stop at and nuclear arms? Why, why say, let's ban that? But somehow understand that he needs to still have security around his White House fence, right? That that he totally believes in. There's no logic of fear there, right? As he says. So, but do you understand how this is the timeless value part of it? Like the timeless value is being smart about danger, and if you guard against danger, you you won't have as much violence thrust upon you. That's or, the way it works. Or fear. Because you've taken care 
of things, so you'd have less to worry about. Right. That's a good point. And, and the other That's thing, a good point, yeah. The other thing that's so interesting is the bottom line of, I think, the subject matter that you brought up today is logic, right? You know you're in deep voodoo if the political leader ventures into the demagogic area of criticizing what is logical. Because fear is nothing but one of the seven or eight basic feelings you have. Anger, happiness, fear, joy, etc. Right? right, right. And fear is a logical response to danger and the potential danger unleashes. So what he's basically saying is, uh, let's just take that kid who fell in with the gorilla. Um, was it illogical for the zoo personnel and the parents of the child who saw their child tumble into an animal pit with an untamed animal to feel fear when the child was in danger? Of course. Of course it was. It was very logical. and It's, it's, and, and it's <laughs> the most reasonable of responses That's right. to feel fear yeah, in such it's, a it's a, And now many people are saying, oh, it was a terrible decision, and they even call that murdering the gorilla. Never mind that you can't murder an animal. Yeah, now I get into the weeds of that story. particular issue, but yeah, yeah. Boys, that was an example that I know. happened a couple I, days ago with fear. I, the, 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 you could use so many examples of fear. Um, and the funny thing is that liberals are all about fear. They, and it goes into the very issue we were talking about. They are fear of climate change, right? I mean, the Talk about logic of fear. There's no logic there whatsoever. I mean, <laughs> that the earth will... I don't know what, they, what, what the actual consequences are. I'm, I'm still not clear. Are we all going to be drowning in we 20 feet of water? Swim. We might have to well, hold, swim. Hold on. Are we going to be drowning in 20 feet of water, as Gore said, and apparently the only man who said that, or one inch, as the United Nations has said? i got to tell you, I don't, I, I'm not worried about drowning in one inch of water, okay? I don't know of any baby that will drown in one inch of water. Okay, so not too terribly worried about that. And then they also make it seem as if somehow we're all going to drown. Like, uh, like uh, let's say there was a huge sudden increase. It, it, won't, it won't be sudden. It would be, as to use their own words, it would be gradual over decades. Well, are we just going to stand still while the water keeps on growing? Like, we don't, we're not mobile enough to move out of the way? Like, hey, you know, this water is pretty high. Got to get out of here. Is it, is it an inch or is it 20 inches? And if it's 20 inches, so what? Even or then. 20 feet. Or 20 feet. No, no it's, they don't say it's 20 feet. They never said that. Oh, 20 inches. Okay. 20 inches. Oh. This is, I mean, it's a little bit like the, the, the movie This is Spinal Tap, right? You know, where yeah, it's they, they have the thing, that Stonehenge thing in the background where, where they mistakenly refer to it as inches instead of feet. And so they get this tiny little thing going back, which is supposed to be awe-inspiring and everything and, and fearful. And it's supposed to be 12 feet instead of 12 inches so they didn't get this tiny thing rolling back down the back but anyway the point is 12 inches i think people don't even know what the difference between an inch and a foot anymore 12 inches b bfd and that's and that's the or, or 20 inches for that matter that is that is the 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 the, the what are the, the nightmare scenario the nightmare right? thank you the yeah. nightmare scenario that al gore wants to advance but it's one inch, according to the United Nations. Let's, okay, so let's, let's compromise for the sake. One crazy person versus all the United Nations. And we'll say it's, uh, I don't know, 10 feet, 10 inches instead, okay? So, all right, so what? That's less than a foot. What, I mean, I just, I just want the logic here. And then, of course, the logic of I mean, the fact that there will be fewer deaths as a result of, of you know, severe cold weather, right? You don't have as much severe hot weather. But then they'll say, you know, you're, you're being lazy here, Barack, because, you know, all this stuff with tornadoes and hurricanes, all the, the consequences of, of global uh, warming or whatever, climate change, as they call it. But, and there's no, there's absolutely no connection whatsoever. They want it to be a connection because it, it looks cool. Here comes a hurricane, and that's all because of man, right? It's, it's, it's more sexy. It's more fear-inspiring. Anyway, they, they're all about fear. Right, the fear uh, of the florist yeah. or the baker. Yeah. Imposing his tyranny upon that nice gay couple. Yes, yes. If we don't, and, and if we don't agree to, uh, if we limit abortion, for example, well, then the fear is that, you know, that those, those conservatives, those timeless value people, <laughs> they, they will, they will uh, you know, demand uh, that all abortion be illegal. And if you don't uh, have a minimum wage for everyone, well, then everyone will be on the streets and they'll all be dying or whatever it is. And for that matter, the population control. Everyone is, we, we need to control the population, as they used to say decades ago. 
Um, the, the, everything that they espouse is about fear. Every single thing. If we don't raise taxes enough, then all your programs that are so important to you will all fall apart. And who who will uh, pay the Medicare and the Social Security and and the veterans benefits? It's all about fear. But but when he goes to Hiroshima, when it's about nuclear arms, then then your desire as a conservative to keep nuclear arms as a deterrent, well, that's all about fear. And you're a, a low life because you're afraid. Get it? Just so that you understand the program. And even worse, us taking solace and comfort to the fact that World War II, this, this most awful event in all of human history, was finally put to an end one way or another with our victory. Who cares how it ended with our victory? We had our victory. The good guys won. The right. bad guys' attempt to conquer the free nations and peoples of the world was put to an end. Yeah. It, it, for him to go there and not speak about the joy that the good guys won. Right, right, right. Is stunning. It's uh, it's so stunning, and. Um, to, to look at only at the end result and say, wow, we used a nuclear bomb, and to not see the context of everything else that happened, uh, the, the, what the Japanese did, first of all, they initiated this war, right? We didn't ask for this war. We didn't start it. Uh, Pearl Harbor commenced this war for us and got us embroiled in a world war as a result. Uh, they wanted to completely take over um, the whole Pacific, uh, for one thing. And then what they, the horrific things they did to prisoners, the horrific things they did to the Chinese and the rape of Nanking, and, uh, and, and all the things they had, they had done to so many other peoples. And then the only thing they look at is, is the, the nuclear bomb that killed, yes, a lot of people, but, but killed a far fewer people than would have been killed had we had a full-scale invasion of Japan. I mean, even they believe in math to some extent. And most importantly, they didn't surrender after the first bomb. Yeah. They could have. <laughs> That's so true. I know. It took it's, two. It's, it's true. It, 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 that fascinates me that they, 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 what do they think? That we only had one bomb and, okay, well, let's, let's test it out? I mean, what, what, what would, I, that I just never got my head around. But then again, the dictatorships don't think logically. They they are so self-aggrandizing and they are so self-centered that they, they can't, unless it affects them directly, they have no sense, accountability, they have no sense that it touches them. It's what I call the Ceausescu school of thought. Ceausescu being the Romanian dictator who had no idea that his whole country was revolting upon him until the time they actually reached his castle, and it was a castle basically, and they drew straws for a firing squad. And even to that very moment, he said, this can't be happening. This is crazy. What, you guys are so uh, ungrateful. But the same thing is true with all dictatorships. They, they, they have no uh, reality check within them. So at the end of the day, this is what, is, what, what they're doing. And uh, uh, the nuclear age, uh, the, the, the body count numbers and everything else, they have no idea. But to, to simply look at the, the result the, the, the weapon that we, we chose, which was supposed to actually save not just our own American lives, but also Japanese lives, far more people would have died. I don't, I don't get it. Is, are you demurring to the, to the way these people died or demurring that we should, should never be using this at all? Because I think it's, they're only demurring to the way they died. Well, I think also— Because, because you know, frankly, from my point of view as a, as a parent and for, that, for my sake as well— what do I care whether I'm being killed by way of a bullet to my head or a nuclear blast? What's the, what's the difference? I mean, maybe a nuclear blast is even better because it's instantaneous. You know, but, but why is it more ethical to have to go in and, and subject your people to uh, a slaughter of a civilians, all of whom were going to be used as soldiers, by the way, and, and, and sacrifice hundreds of thousands of young Japanese lives, children and, and old people among them? Uh, which would inevitably have happened. Inevitably. Yeah, but there's a bigger point here that I think we're, you're somewhat missing that is, is anatomical and granular to the Obama and liberal logic, which is this. There is no higher thing you can um, strive for in liberalism than to be a victim. So the ultimate mistake of the West is that we built it first. Remember, 
The Germans were working on this project, and the Japanese were. Remember, the Japanese were launching hot air balloons from Japan and floating them over to America, trying to find a way of putting them at the right launch point so that they would fly over an American city and could be detonated on a time release, a timer device, and an altimeter yeah. to, to de- vaporize American cities. I, so, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, they, they discovered this. This is very interesting. They discovered these balloons landing around America full of sand as a weight. And they did, this is how incredible the Americans were, among many other things. They did an analysis of all the beach sand from around the world because they couldn't find where these were coming from. And their analysis told them they were coming from beaches in Japan Mm. by the content of the sand, the selenium, the the granite content, etc. And they realized the Japanese were trying to design an intercontinental delivery system for a weapon of this type. All right. But, 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 but the on. point let's is, in, in the Obama logic, in the liberal logic, if they had used it first, it would have all been good. It would have all been kosher. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, look, it's, it's not logical. It never has been logical. And it's, it's, it's just, in reality, it's just another way to demonize America and, for that matter, the Western civilization altogether. It's um, this notion that any, sor- any, any source of... Sorry, any effort to protect yourself is itself morally wrong, and, and that cannot be, right? So let's go back to the conservatism notion, though, because uh, we were talking before about how they, uh, liberalism is about fear, uh, liberalism is about uh, the timeless values thing and, and, and everything. I'm uh, sorry, that conservatism is about timeless values and the things we figured out. Where exactly the opposite is true when it comes to liberalism. They, they have not figured things out. They, they, they don't have any values, let alone timeless values. As I, as I like to say uh, to, to any of my liberal friends, what distinction do you value? And we had uh, our good friend uh, Amanda here, uh, and she, when we posed that question to her, there was a very long pause. And not because she's uh, not very bright, she's extremely bright. But it was clear she had not entertain the idea at all. It, 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 distinctions were not a factor. Whereas for, for we conservatives, values and the, the distinctions that values impose are, are, are essential. It's what defines us. In fact, ironically, it's the distinction between conservatives on the one hand and liberals on the other. It's distinctions that distinguish us. How do you like that? Yeah, and I think there's a, a point to be made that connects this to a point you made a minute, a few minutes ago, about the ideology that was governing um, the Japanese government and, to a certain extent, Nazi Germany and all the other tyrannies we've seen come and go since, which is a adherence to ideology over logic. I think the main point we're trying to get here is that conservatism is not an ism at all. It is not an ideology at all. It is simply a way of determining what works best and doing your best to implement policy and, and actions in life that work best right. for now and into the future for all time. Right. It shouldn't even be an ideology per se. It, it makes no sense. And the only reason why we use the word conservatism is simply to have a reference point, a quick reference point, to compare, <clears throat> to juxtapose and, and contrast against these other ideologies known as liberalism, socialism, and fascism, and communism. And I believe the term conservatism, and I'm just going off my head here, so I I can't tell you for sure. I'm sure one of our listeners can look this up and and verify. It's probably a term that came up as a response to the word progressivism. Well, exactly right. Because if progressivism just progressed in any direction whatsoever with an an amorphous blob free of all logic, it took something like conservatism to conserve the actions and directions of progressivism right, 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 into right. a directed right, right. logical area. Right, right. That, that, that is exactly so. It's very similar, by the way, to the Jewish um, denominations that people often see conservatism, uh, you know, because I'm a, a conservative Jew, let's say. Not politically conservative, but if, if somebody def- identifies themselves as a um, religiously conservative, it, it means a certain branch of the Jewish faith, Right. And there's orthodox and such. But the word orthodoxy didn't really come into play until the reform movement started and the reconstructionist movement started. So all of a sudden, they were the conservatives and the orthodox uh, sects of, of Judaism. They, 
that's the irony of it, is that the, the name orthodoxy and um, conservatism are actually younger in name than the reform movement and the uh, reconstructionist movements in Judaism. Why? Because they, they were always that way. I mean, it was like saying, I don't know, um, describing you as uh, two-eyed Ari, right? Yeah, <laughs> you're essentially saying, to simplify the point, well, well, back well, well, in the day, yeah. all Jews were essentially what we consider Orthodox Jews Yeah, are. that's right. I mean, by definition, you were Orthodox. And and if you go to Israel, by the way, they don't call themselves Orthodox Jews. They, they are, they're just Jews. And this is what Jews do, right? And they still don't understand, like, when, when I come to Israel and I say, look, I, I'm, I'm very observant and I really love being Jewish and such— they see me in the same way that you know Woody Allen saw, or that the people in this in, in his fantasy saw him when he said he was Jewish. They they just imagined him with the pace and the black hats and everything as an Orthodox. When he went to visit Annie Hall's family, right? Exactly. In Indiana. Yeah, that was they, a very cute, yes. cute moment. And uh, and and that's the way sometimes my own family, who was who was Jewish, of course, they they see me like that way. But anyway, I, I try to explain to them it's a little different here in America. Um, but. Orthodoxy and conservative Judaism are are new phrases, and to some extent, conservatism in America is a new phrase. Just like you said, it's a it's a phrase that was adapted after liberalism, because it, we needed to identify ourselves, and and to identify ourselves quickly. So here's this this phrase, conservatism, which is fine, uh, but it, I don't think it's an ideal way. It's like we, it's like sometimes we have. Uh, I don't know. You want to name something quickly, like you're saving a, a word document and you have no time. You just say, you know, uh, you know, you say the date in the Smith case, but you don't. Nevertheless, you know, you, if you had time, you would spend it more more deeply, and you would make it a really cool title. But it's as if we didn't have any time. We we just stuck to the name conservatism, and and here we are. We're the conservers, the ones yeah. clinging to the past and such. Right, and knowing the left, there probably was no time, considering the amount of ideological pressure they constantly yeah. put on us. If you just take it back to what was progressivism, uh, you know, before the progressive movement, which would be the, the battles of abolition and slavery, before the slavery, the pro-slavery battles, we were just Americans. But then there were these Americans who were for slavery. right. What did it mean to not be for slavery, being an abolitionist? Well, before they were abolitionists, they were just Americans. Right. But you had this these pressures to keep this horrendous system in place. Right. And, be, and, and before there was uh, the abortion movement, uh, people were not pro-life or, or pro-choice. They, these are new phrases. So these are, you know, before in the old days when, when abortion was not uh, allowed, it, it was, there was no name for people. They, I don't know. They, they were... Women's rights people, I suppose, or women's health people, but nevertheless, now all of a sudden you're either pro-choice or pro-life. It, 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 things, things develop, and and conservatism, I think, is a young phrase, and we ought to revisit that the whole notion because we are the things we figured out party, and I'm very proud of that, and uh, we we are hardly the thing that the liberals want to claim us to be, which is that we conserve, we're frightened, we're. Um, we desire, we, we don't want to learn anymore, among other things. We don't want to try new things. Every, nothing of those statements could be any further from the truth. We, we desire change dramatically. We, we look forward to innovation. We look forward to new ideas, new books, new movies. Uh, we understand that the notion, for example, of uh, creative destruction. Uh, the, the best example of that being the Internet, how it, how it basically changes the whole way we look at books, the whole way we look at music, the whole way we look at renting things, or even, uh, for that matter, uh, going on a date. Everything is so different now with the Internet. And we embrace that. But no one, you know, to their credit, liberals don't accuse us of, of being afraid of the Internet. Or maybe they do. Who knows? But they do accuse us of... Uh, being afraid of their great, great, glorious new ideas. And in that sense, we're not afraid of it. We just know the consequences of it. And I suppose we do fear the consequences only because we know what's going to happen. In the same way that, you know, we see our kid rolling down on a skateboard, uh, down a, a downhill driveway into the street, uh, the, the kid is not afraid. He's just having a good old time. You and I, as the parent, are terrified. Why? Because we know it's a busy street and there's a high likelihood of some horrific situation happening. See, we're, we're the parent 
the liberals, they're the child. And that's why I said on my Sunday show, the liberalism so often reflects childish thinking. Because for them, it's the fun for the moment. Because as they go down the skateboard, it is fun, right? Until the very moment that they get smushed by the car and they die. That's, that's the difference. And, and, and I, I have challenged liberals over and over again on this. Because where I win, and I, we always win. It's not just me. It's, we will always win the argument if you ask them the simple question, what are the consequences? And, and minimum wage is such a good example of that. So I, I asked a, a gentleman, he, he, he insisted that minimum wage should be $22. Why he chose 22 and not 23 or 25 or 35, I don't know, but he, he said $22. And I said, what are the consequences of that? And he did say, he said, I just think the economy will take off like this. And he made a hand gesture with his, with his uh, right hand. And, and I said, where do you get that? Well, that's what I think. I, I understand that's what you think, but who is telling you this? Where did you get this information? Why would it be so? And he just couldn't give me the answer. And I said, Steve, you know, I, you know, I love you. I think you're a great guy. And, and I just, and I'll be on board with you. If $22 an hour will make the economy rev up, I am for it. I'll always be for it. But you need to tell me why it would be so. Because... Until you tell me it's so, it's the equivalent of sending my child down a skateboard for fun. And instead of going in a safe place like an amusement park where I don't have to worry about his actually being bodily injured so badly and maimed. So why, why, why ever go to an amusement park, by the way? Just send your kid down that very steep hill, right? Why not? But Steve, my friend, could never describe it. And nobody ever will. And, and that'll be true about affirmative action. It'll be true about the, the transgender bathroom situation. It'll be true about uh, where marriage is, is going to be heading. It'll be true about uh, higher taxes, higher regulations. You name it, they, they cannot defy you with positive consequences because they don't know. It, it, all they have is to be able to say, I think it's going to be great. That's all they have. But that... But, but, but I, I mean, I, we're, we're talking ourselves not into a tizzy, but it, it's such a frustration. How, if you're a liberal, and, and there are many liberals who listen to this podcast, I'm, I'm actually very proud to say, but if you're a liberal, write to us and explain a consequence that you think is really great of, of any classic liberal policy. Just tell me that, and, and I'll, I'll be with you. And I'll announce it. On this podcast, I'll, I'll, if you want, we can put we can uh, say your name, and we'll we'll let you know what you know how we respond to it, of course. And if if you want to debate further about it, you can come onto our show. But you will never be able to give me a consequence that works, ever, right? You mean a good consequence? A good a consequence. consequence, right, right, right. Isn't a consequence. Yeah, uh, and likewise, since we were talking about foreign foreign affairs, there is never a time that dropping down your guard has ever worked, right? But suddenly this is a new idea. Let's try this. Unclenching your fist, right? That's, that's the, the phrase that our president has said. We, we'll, we'd, like to reach, we'd like to shake your hand so long as you unclench your fist, which is a nice phrase because it, it, you know, it's a visual because you really can't shake someone's hand if he's clenching his fist, right? It's a good lyric. It's a very, oh, yeah. Jim could say Pro that. <laughs> uh, that's true. But... But it, of course, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it, does, it has no context at all. There's never been a time that lowering your guard has been helpful, has been productive. Well, and also, it's, it's no, no country. I'm sorry. No country would ever say, "Well, gosh, uh, you know, America's lowering its guard. I guess we now can feel a little bit more relaxed about them, and and now we want to we we, we want to trade with them more and and be more, you know, one on one with them from a you know, uh, from a cultural point of view, from a financial point of view, from a business point of view, it's all going to be cool now because America lowered its guard because it's all about trust. It's a beautiful thing. You know, like the movie uh, uh, War Games, right, with Matthew Broderick. You know, the, the computer figured out that this nuclear weapons thing is just uh, very illogical. The only way you can win is not to play that game, right? <laughs> That's or right. Something. Yeah. Um, it, it's... It, 
the other thing that I, I think needs to be addressed in all this in regarding Hiroshima and how these these ideologies um, mm-hmm. uh, play out because uh, a friend of mine the other day was lauding the Hiroshima speech by Obama and he's not a liberal he's self-defined moderate leans conservatism he said most of the stuff he said were was great and all that. How could you argue with it? And I just teed it up and had a field day with him. I'm not going to belabor all the, um, you know, if you will, or urban vernacular, the verbal bitch slapping I gave him for his um, idiocy. But I think what you have to do is put it in context of actions. It's not like the nuclear issue with our enemies is not totally present with Obama at the moment. This is a president who about a year ago closed a nuclear deal with Iran, the most evil regime on earth that even if you take Obama at his word and Iran doesn't have the bomb today, guarantees them the breakout capacity within 10 years to have a bomb. And this is a country that you don't want to have the deterrent threat of a bomb or the offensive capability of a bomb or anything regarding the bomb. Right. And, and, and in yeah. response, he goes to Hiroshima and makes this flowery, you know, gay wedding cake and floral arrangement right, right, right. speech. Right. And we're just supposed to ignore this? <laughs> I know. Going back to your 10-year point about the Iranian um, uh, treaty and such like that, you know, it's just like uh, it's just like when your child grows up, right? It, it's it's a, where have those 10 years gone by, right? <laughs> you know, it's like the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, right? It's like, if, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be just like you, son, dad. <laughs> well, that's what it's going to be. At the end of the day, we're going to have a, a we're going to come right back to the timeless value. Why? Because it's, it's timeless. When we do reach that 10-year, 11-year mark, and we discover, oh, yeah, now they have the bomb. Oh, I guess that's why we were so resistant to it now. Oh, their fist is clenched yeah. and stays clenched. And, it, <laughs> and let's revisit this. It ain't so much better anymore, is it? And then, then your liberal friends will say, well, that's because a lot of, you can't fault Obama. A lot of things happened in the meantime. And we'll say, yeah, exactly. That's the point. You live in a static world where you think nobody moves, and, but you're not, without realizing that the chess pieces do move around you on a multidimensional level and much faster in time. And people don't wait for you to move, sir. And that's where you don't get it because it's a, it's a timeless value that people and countries will ask, act in their own interest. Your failure to realize that makes you somebody that doesn't understand what a timeless value is, and it also makes you somebody... That, that doesn't understand the consequences of your own actions. That's it, right? Things we figured out, party, that's who we are. Liberals, you have not figured out anything. And that's one thing that is timeless, that you've never figured it out. You're doing the same things that you've said decades ago, and they never didn't work back then, and they won't, won't work now. Like these famous 7-Up commercial, never had it, never will. All right, don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a client who had opened up a food operation in a shopping center, but the landlord had misrepresented the amount of foot traffic that your client would get. Yeah, Dennis, and very quickly my client felt the impact, losing a tremendous amount of money each month. He had invested $250,000 in improvements into the business. All right, how did you resolve that one? It turns out that the shopping center was about to be sold, so we waited for just the right moment before the sale because we knew the landlord would not want to have to disclose this major lawsuit. Suddenly, he's settled for a lot of money. Sometimes you have to know how to time your luck. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM 870 The Answer.
So I love this conservative notion of the, the party uh, that figured things out, right? Or the party of um, uh, of, of what uh, works. Well, the party of what works, right? Uh, or timeless values is what we said, right? From the for the first half, and and what the reason why I like it so much is that it really has to define us. We have to face the fact that. As the, the enemy gets larger, then we, we have to define ourselves in a different way, right? So when you, when you have, um, I don't know, when, when somebody, okay, for example, the iPhone, right? It's the iPhone is there and then the, the Samsung has to make its own phone. It's different. And they have to, uh, and everyone has to do something that's now distinguished. It's not just a phone anymore or even just a smartphone. It's there's a distinguishing feature. So you don't just have a car, you have an Infiniti or a Lexus or a BMW. It's, it's a way of differentiating yourself. But the same thing is true with ideology or the way people think. You very correctly said in the first half, uh, Ari, that in the old days, what we now think of conservative principles uh, was simply a body of obvious uh, things that everyone understood. But because this, these crazy ideologies, such as social, uh, socialism and communism, uh, were, uh, were taking root, and they had defined terms, communism, socialism, right? Progressivism. Suddenly, progressivism, we, we had to scramble to define who we are. Uh, we don't want to just be not progressive, not liberal, not communist, not social, socialist, right? We, we don't want to just define ourselves that way. We have to say what we are also. Just like, like Jews, for example, many of my Christian friends, uh, they think that what defines us as Jews is that we believe everything they believe, except we don't believe in Jesus as the, the Son of God, right? Well, but that's not what Judaism is, right? We have a completely different mindset. Yes, it's true. We do not believe in, in Jesus as the Son of God, but that's not our defining. That's not what defines us. There's a couple other things to it. Right? There's a lot. There's a yeah. lot. There's a lot more to it. And and you know, we respect Christianity deeply, but it's not that we don't believe. I mean, literally, I had a few friends of mine say say, okay, so we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and you and you are Jewish, and that means you you, you define yourself by not believing. In, in Jesus as the Son of God, as if we go to temple and we pray and we say, oh, Lord, how we don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, right? <laughs> I mean, it's very sweet, I, I, you know, but everyone has their perspective. And so, but that's why, you know, in, in liberalism, they say uh, it, it, the minimum wage is such a good example. It, it always is a good example because it's such a crazy notion, right? But they'll think, that you know, liberals believe that the minimum wage should be fifteen dollars an hour, and conservatives believe it should be seven twenty-five. Right? That's their definition. That's the way they view it. They, they bring us into into their swimming pool, as one of my former clients referred to. I love that expression. We have to swim in their pool. No, we we have a different pool. Thank you very much. Right? It, it's a whole different language. It's we, we don't even think in terms of minimum wage. There should be no minimum wage. That's a liberal concoction altogether. It's not what we. The fact that we begrudgingly accept a minimum wage of $7.25 doesn't mean that we like it. Do you understand? Yeah. The only, just to be totally clear on this, to yeah. put the, the exclamation point, we only accept it in terms of we comply with it by law. Right. Understand? The same way we pay the income tax. Right. We comply with it by law. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But just, and just because you comply with something by law, liberal friends, doesn't mean you like it either. Right. Or abortion, for that matter, right? They're, they're, the liberals believes that there should be abortion on demand uh, throughout all the, uh, the, tr the trimesters or maybe, you know, the late And And conservative position is that should be reduced as much as possible, but we still, you know, we're okay with abortion. Not necessarily, right? So that, that's another thing. But, but here's a funny way to approach it. Now, what other issues will we now, what other terms in the future will come out based upon distinctions that will no doubt arise? So, for example... The whole, um, the whole gay marriage issue, right? You have uh, people who are clamoring for the rights of gays to get married. All right, so <laughs> now they have it. But during the time, you know, they, they, they call us the, the haters. or they, but, but it happened so quickly that they didn't have a, a term to define us yet, right? Like, 
Uh, there was the anti-homo uh, matrimonious, right? Something, something, something like that, some right? Multi-syllabic right. lather. But we gave the example in the first half of this podcast of of when before there was the abolitionist movement. Uh, and everyone owned slaves. It was kind of understood, well, slavery was okay somehow. There was not a term for abolitionist. Uh, if, if somebody didn't believe in slavery, well, then he was very alone. He was a wacko, right? Likewise, an atheist uh, was a wacko back once upon a time. Nobody didn't believe in God. Everyone believed in God. But it's only because there was a, a couple more people that, that arose that, they, that the term atheism became... Uh, you know, a household word all of a sudden. Everyone understand, understood it. Likewise with uh, being a vegan, by the way. You know, there, in the old days, uh, people who didn't eat uh, meat or dairy, they, well, they just didn't eat meat or dairy. That's it. They said, well, I have this restriction. But now they, they define them as vegans, right? So that's another thing. Uh, I don't like the phrase vegan. It's, it, uh, to me, it sounds like it's somebody from another planet, but that's another <laughs> thing. <laughs> there are Martians, there are people from Jupiter, and there are vegans. <laughs> anyway, but the, but then what else in the future are we gonna are we gonna have like the um, the gay marriage? I think you call them that we would be the they would we would those who are against gay marriage or same sex marriage would be called the anti lovists. I think you because they're pro love and we are anti love, right? So because right. that, that's the way they define that's the way they yeah. they view us that we're against love. Don't you know? Right, because same sex matrimony is the only legitimate love one can have right. or and or right. opposed. Right, it has nothing to do with the consequences of of gay marriage or other things that might arise similar yeah, to and that. I think you said a couple minutes ago about pedophilia as as you yeah. know, our prediction that is that's normalized. Uh, there's going to be anti pedophilia acts yeah. of All some right. sort. That's that's right. Whatever that term turns out to be. Uh, yeah, thanks for t- stealing my thunder, but I'll let you do that. Yeah, exactly right. What What's going to happen in the future when there's going to be a lot of clamoring by those groups that are f- that insist that love between a child and an adult is perfectly legitimate and should be no different, no different than adult and adult, right? So it'll be it'll go into two different camps and they'll start defining themselves as. Uh, and maybe they won't even call themselves the, the pedophilists. They'll, they'll call themselves uh, the love children or something like that, the child lovers. And what's, you know, that sounds like a nice thing after all, the child lovers. Um, and then we'll be the anti-child lovers or the anti-pedophilists or something. But it'll be a new term that for us in, in society, at least good for today, thank God, pedophilia is still a monstrous notion. Right, it's it's crazy, it's evil, and uh, and and so it should always be construed as such. Right, that's the way it's got to be, and that's the way it will be, hopefully. But I, I fear for the future. I think in a five years' time there will be a movement afoot that will say, well, you know, we really should take things on a case by case basis. Of course, if the child is not, uh, you know, willingly uh, desiring uh, such sexual activity, well, then yes, you could imprison. Um, the adult for that, but if the child seems to want it, well, then it's okay. It's all relative, don't you know? And that's how they'll slowly creep into the into the lexicon. And then, of course, you've got the um, um, the the dress codists, the people who you know we're we're concerned all of a sudden. I am concerned about the yoga pants culture. And at some point, there's going to be a differentiation. People are going to be able to say, look, there, there's got to be some sort of line of what you can wear, what you can't wear. That's, it's going to happen. Right now, it's kind of descending upon us fairly quickly, but you know, people are, just don't know what to do. It's, it's just all of a sudden people are thrust with you know, uh, seeing nipples and seeing butt cracks and everything else. Um, you know, yes, it's, it's, it's wonderful from a guy's point of view when you see a really attractive lady wearing such clothes, but it's that, those are few and far between. And, 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 and look, ladies, I mean, I'll say, I'll say it for you as well. If you, if you saw men walking around in the a very tight, um, what is it, lycra shorts, whatever the equivalent is, and, and you, where you can see the guy's... Uh, yeah, bicycle pants. Yeah, right. yeah bicycle, but without the cushion yes. you know, below and without them actually riding the bicycles, right? And, and you know, it, it kind of hugs very closely to they the... Call that form-fitting. Form-fitting, yes, thank <laughs> you. Uh, where everything, you can see the whole package, as it were. There's the term, the anti-form-fittingists. That's, that's right. 
Well, I, I don't know what we would call us, like a, the codists or the prudists or something. I, but, but, but you're going to have this all of a sudden. You see, language adopts to and adapts, I'm sorry, to the, the culture. Just like we said, the, the pro-lifers and the pro-choice, right? They, that It's language. You're suddenly a part of your identity is wrapped up in an issue, a cultural issue that has arisen, right? There was no such thing as pro-life or pro-choice back 50, 60, 100 years ago. There was, that, that was just, you couldn't do it. So here we are, though, with these terms. And now people are voting and they identify themselves as such. I'm a pro-life person. I'm a pro-choice person. And we're going to have these identities in the future. I'm, a, I'm against uh, any adult having any sex with any child younger than 18. I will be that way. That You can count me on the record from now on. I will never change my position on that. All right? I think it's, it's a horrible thing to, to suggest anything, you know, to believe anything otherwise. But, but soon enough, I'm going to have to identify myself. I have to give myself a name for, for that very belief that I just spoke about. That, and, and that is what terrifies me. There, there shouldn't be a position. It, it should be a global position that we hate pedophilia. Okay, this is one of the, the few distinctions that still remains absolutely clear for most reasonable people out there. Good for today. But, but here we are in, in a world where uh, men are now clamoring for the right, the constitutional right, you understand, the God-given right to go into a woman's bathroom or locker room. Right. This is now the new, the new scandal, the new ethical issue, the new moral issue, the new constitutional issue of the day, and and you have to define yourself on where you stand on that issue. And and soon you'll be assigned a name, an identity for for your position. And so, what is it? The anti, uh, uh, I don't know, <laughs> the anti -bath bathroomist. The anti latrinus. Uh, well, that's that you you like that I know, but no, no, mine had to do with the urinal. I just oh, latrinus, came, I yes, just yes. Came up with latrinus to make it sound well, poetic. Uh, <laughs> the anti-mergerists. How about that? You know, they, we're we're an anti-merger. I don't want to merge. Uh, you know, the, the, the two sexes. The like, anti-singularityists. Like <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Separate but equalists. So, you know. <laughs> that, I mean, literally, I heard somebody made that comparison. By the way, they said. Well, back in the 50s, they had separate but equal no, no, separate but equal bathrooms and water fountains and schools, of course, uh, between black and white, and this is the same thing. And I said, you've got to be kidding. All right, did you for a moment, when you were a man going into men's room, for all your life, all of it, and, and these guys are old guys, too, like they're 60, for the entire time up to this past friggin' year, did you ever think for a moment, Wow, I'm really participating in a separate but unequal treatment of uh, a separate but equal treatment of, of men and women. Then this is just wrong, wrong. I tell you, you know, women should be able to come into here anytime. And I just feel so bad participating in this clearly unconstitutional, you know, oppression of of women and men. Yeah, and you, you, you said something very interesting a couple of minutes ago that I think connects directly to this. You talked about how language adapts to the culture you're in. And the next part of that is, of course, and then reality adapts to that language. Yeah. Look how reality has been skewed by this language. And furthermore, it would be one thing to make that argument if the Jim Crow laws were universal in America and the Jim Crow separate but equal bathrooms, water fountains were the same in Boston, Massachusetts, Los Angeles, California, and Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, and so on, right. But the fact is Jim Crow only occurred in a small region of the country. Right. And it was always controversial that it exists in that region. And the rest of the country was horrified that that regional distinction yeah, yeah, yeah. occurred. Yeah, but... So the point is, it's like you, you cannot make any analogies comparing any of these things to Jim Crow if you have done any thought whatsoever, and, but only the elimination of thought that the, morphic, the morphing of language allows, allows you to get to that wait, point. Wait, wait, wait. You, you expect people, you, Ari David, expect people to have the sophistication to actually know their history. You see, what, what happens is... I don't know why I expect so much of well, these you, human beings. I knew I should just hang out with cats. <laughs> your logic would extend to the following, which is, uh, you know, 
the, the Inquisition was bad and the Crusades were bad. Therefore, Christianity is, is all bad, right? Because, you know, you just, you just decide to look at that. Or why not stop? Why stop there? Why not say that America once had some difficulties with the American Indians? And, um, and certainly with the blacks. Therefore, America is bad. Or right? Judaism's bad because of that one incident that was high profile involving idolatry at the base of Mount Sinai. <laughs> right, yeah, the, the golden calf. Yeah, because they can't live up to the values, so just throw out the whole thing. Oh, yeah, why not? Right, so th- this is, you, you throw out, it's called throwing out the baby with the bathwater, I suppose. But it, it's just, the perspective is, is just all skewed, what you're saying. Uh, and of course, the Jim Crow laws were, were defined, and, and they, were, they were horrible, of course, as they were. But they were they were defined and limited in, to a specific area of the country, and a very backward area at, the, at, a, at a very backward time. And it was wrong. It's as simple as that. But don't say that somehow America was living in a, a time of Jim Crow. It, it just it just didn't apply the same way. And that's what this person is saying. Yeah, about, exactly about right. He said he said that separate but, but equal is is somehow what was the law of the land everywhere. And now he's saying that somehow it applies to to male and female bathrooms. I mean, how embarrassing for them to to make this argument. That's what I say. And it's the same thing that they used when it came to gay marriage. They said, well, in the old days, uh, a black a man could not marry a white woman, and or vice versa. And uh, so this is just the same thing. This is the this kind of um, prohibition against uh, uh, same-sex uh, couples marrying. Well, that's the same, really. No, it's not. You know, and you have to explain it to them. You know, it's the era of explaining things all over again. All right, I want to move on to another topic. And you know, it fascinates me, uh, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton will always be famous for one thing: for lying so easily and so often. That's what she does. I, I think that when I think of the word Clinton, I think liar, right? It's the first word that comes to and my mind. And the husband, too. Oh, don't, yeah, yeah. Don't, no, no. Don't, don't only apply this to the they women were, in that family. They're, they're very well suited for and each other. And the children. That's right. The child. Well, we'll, we'll the see. The daughter lies, too. Uh, give her a chance. <laughs> She'll, she, she does not lie like the best of them yet. But, you know, she is younger. So, okay, look, look. Here's my point. Lying, it comes easily to them. Lying is a, a, a part of their nature. And I, it's not that I want to speak too much about Clinton right now. I want to speak about the nature of lying. Because I believe that lying makes you go crazy. Now, what do I mean that, by that? I, I have known too many people who I knew were lying to me. Not just you know maybe opposing counsel or or even clients sometimes. There was one client in particular that I remember that I caught her in multiple lies, and I, I realized that she was a crazy person. And I thought to myself, the fact that she's crazy, and 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 my partner said, well, she's lying and she's crazy, and, and as if they're two different things. And I realized, no, no, no. She's crazy because she lies. And, and the reason why, I, I figure this out, liars go crazy. And Hillary Clinton is a good example of that. Look at her when she has to kind of keep up with her lies. She starts going crazy. Why, why do I say this? Because when you lie, you are distorting a reality, right? By definition, it's not what happened. So whether you... You, you, you claim you did the work, that, but you didn't do the work. Or that you claim that you were somewhere, but you weren't there. You're lying. You're distorting reality. And you guess what? Your brain knows it. And so the brain doesn't like that distortion. The brain says, I've got to fix this reality. And it starts kind of um, uh, configuring itself in a certain way so that it can rectify this. It creates a different reality, not just a lie. It doesn't say, the brain doesn't know the difference between the truth and a lie. It simply says, here's what I understand I'm supposed to believe is the truth. And it starts making all sorts of impossible things happening within your brain on other scores. And then the more you lie, the more crazy you become because your brain is trying to try to somehow reconcile the truth and what you've actually said to somebody else. It's, it's a cognitive dissonance. You hear that phrase in psychology, right? 
where you, you, you believe two different things at the same time. How, how, do you, how do you rectify those? How do you square that circle? And the brain doesn't like it. So the brain starts making you go crazy. It just does. And I, I invite you to consider people that you know have lied. Or better yet, look at people who you know to be crazy. And if you go back far enough, I can guarantee you that there is lying in the background. That they have decided that lying is, is somehow the appropriate tool to, to get about, to go about where they want it to go. And then they end up crazy. And I think, I think Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton are, are just like that. And the funny thing is, and you can say, well, what are you talking about, Barack? You know, Hillary Clinton, she seems to be talking just fine. Bill Clinton seems to be giving speeches and such. No, no, no. Listen to them. Look at them. They get all discombobulated. They, go, they literally go crazy when they are confronted. And, and you hear them speak, and they, they just have these wild eyes. And that's because their lies are catching up with them. I, I know that sounds far-fetched to some of you, but I'm telling you, this, this is actually a reality. Lying leads to your own personal craziness. And it's not just what they do and the, the way they manifest their facial gestures and, and such like that. All right, it's not just that. It's also what they begin to believe. They begin to believe crazy things, right? So, uh, and I think climate change is a, such a crazy thing. How people can actually believe this is really beyond me. And, and it, I'm not talking about just the politics of the world and such a, the crazy liberal ideas, because I'm not saying that all liberals are liars, but far from that. But I am saying that people that lie will start believing anything. You tell them, they, they love conspiracies. Liars love conspiracies. So next time you see somebody in a, in a conspiracy mode, then by all means, <laughs> check out and consider whether or not they've had a lie in their past or more than a couple of lies. Or if they're living lies. Yeah, they're living it. Uh, you know, that old term, they're living a lie. Yeah. A lot of times they are. Because a lot of times the craziness is just your brain just not being able to compute, you know, like the old days in the Star Trek episodes where the, the computer starts blowing up because it just can't tolerate two competing programs, right? And, and, and it always ends up that the, the, the computer blows up in the end because it literally does not compute. But the brain is the same way. And when you say a lie... You're asking your brain to accept a truth that does not compute. It's, it, it knows it's not right, and the brain has to fix it, just like a, a, a scab fixes a wound, right? The brain also psychologically goes over a lie and has to rectify it and, and, and make a new truth out of it. It has to make consistency in your brain. And if you lie once, well, it's like a, a little bit of arsenic in your, in your drink. It's, it's all, it starts being all poison at the end of the day. You don't want that, or termites if you want, or algae in your drink, mold. You name it, it starts growing, and eventually will take over your entire brain. And that's what craziness yeah. is and, all about. And it also causes a massive overload on top of that. So at the same time that your brain becomes compromised trying to reconcile this data that isn't, uh, think about how much more you have to remember if you're not telling the truth. Right. If you're telling the truth... You only you have a challenge, and it is formidable to remember stuff. Right. Just remember one thing, one set, one right, right. string right. Of, of events. If you start lying, you've got to re start remembering multiple strings because for for the lie to be consistent, you also have to remember the truth. Now you're remembering two tracks and three yes, and four, and a person's brain has enough trouble just parsing and and processing. The one track of reality, well, what, let alone multiple ones. Or what you ate for breakfast the day before. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's hard enough for a lot of people. And that's why sometimes pathological liars, you know, we're, we're very, you know, but we're very befuddled by them, uh, that they lie about everything. And you wonder, well, why are they lying about things that don't even matter? Like, for example, the breakfast example I just gave you. Yes. What, what, why are you even lying about that? That doesn't advance your position in any way by saying that you ate pancakes when you had cereal. What, why would you lie about that, right? But the reason why, my friends, is because the, their whole brain has been taken over. They must lie in order to be, uh, to, to, to kind of reconcile the, the first lie they have, the brain has to develop more and more lies 
and tells them you have to lie all the time to be consistent, okay? The programming in your brain has changed. Anyway, my friends, I'm Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you next week.